Good morning, folks. How are you today? You know, as, as a guest preacher, you get dropped into the middle of a sermon series. Sometimes you see what you have and you go, oh, that's great. Thanks for inviting me for that one. And, and so earlier this morning, as Jamie was praying, praying about how you guys are in the middle of the book of, of Acts and talking about reaching out to our friends and neighbors, I thought, boy, that's the easy part, is it not? Today, if you heard the scripture that Jamie just read, we're talking about the idea of doing more than reaching out to our friends and neighbors. We're reaching out to whom? Our enemies, those who persecute us. And so as I'm sitting, uh, worshiping along with you this morning, and I'm praying, and I'm thinking, I'm going, Lord, give me the grace. And he gave me Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think sometimes you come to church, and what the preacher does is shift guilt from himself or herself onto you. Yes, you ever feel that? That you walk out of here with your tail between your legs, your head hanging, going, oh, what the, why did I come this morning? Let me tell you something. I think if we walk like that, we haven't heard God's word correctly. Man, if you're in Christ Jesus this morning, let me tell you something. There's no condemnation. Amen? You guys amen a little? Yes, you talk to me a little? Okay, good. And I, I, I need that and the encouragement. But the idea that there's no condemnation that for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we also are speaking of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming upon us. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, it's not condemnation he brings, but conviction. And so, if you would, I'm going to say a quick prayer for myself, for all of us, as we look at the scripture verses in Acts chapter 9, that heaven forbid, God forbid, that we would ever walk from this place of worship of our God, feeling guilty or under condemnation. Man, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. But that if God desires for us to change, if there's something God would like us to do differently than we're doing today, that that would come out of a spirit, a healthy, holy spirit of Holy Spirit conviction. Amen? So let's pray that if that's where we are, because it's a large crowd, and I don't know each of you, I don't know where we're coming from, but trust that God, through his infinite wisdom, can reach us right where we are and move us a little further down the path to where he desires us to be. So let me pray for that this morning, then we'll uh, continue with the sermon. Father, we are grateful that therefore there is now no condemnation, none whatsoever, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, but we do pray as we come before you with open arms and open hearts. Father, that you would send that spirit in abundance so that we would know more and more what your desire would be for us corporately as a church and, Father, what you would desire as far as change in our life individually as we pursue you. Lord, those are things we can't even horse up and and man up and do on our own. Lord, they're only things that we do as your Holy Spirit leads and through the power of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. I wonder if any of you have some friendships in your life like I do. I, I'm assuming most of us have some of these. They're the type of friendship that when other people look at them, they go, hmm. There's, like, there's kind of that feeling like that doesn't really match up. You see this personality, you see that personality, and you think, that, that, that doesn't go together. Any of you have relationships like that? Yeah, some of you are, are that part of the relationship. You just don't realize that. <laughs> People look at you and who you're friends with going, I don't know why they're friends with that person. I've got a number of those. Usually I'm on that end of it. But I've got one particular friend, Tom Carpenter. Tom was in Bridgeport, West Virginia for a number of years, now lives down in Powhatan Point, Ohio. Uh, Tom was involved with a Young Life Committee in Bridgeport. I'm the regional director for Young Life in Western PA, West Virginia, and Eastern Ohio. And I've been doing that for a number of years now. But I, I get involved with our volunteers in the local area. So I, get, I met Tom probably in the early 2000s down in Bridgeport, West Virginia, as he was helping with things. And Tom is just a neat, wonderful, deep man of God. 
But just if you put us next to each other and just listen to us for 30 seconds, you would go, not sure what you two have in common. I'm probably half a foot taller than Tom and at least a hundred bills more than him, way more than him. I mean, I'm just real large. If you're going to find out this morning, you know, I'm also very loud and, and borderline obnoxious, okay? I, 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 I'm, I'm always really caffeinated up, or that's what people think. That's just my personality. If I get caffeine in me, forget about it. Tom is, is the direct opposite. Tom is the most staid, uh, easy, even-keeled, easygoing personality of a man. I, I tend to be real loud. Tom tends to be real quiet. I, I'm reactive and responsive, and you know how I feel. Tom holds everything very close to the vest. And so when we have conversations, you can imagine how they go. They often tend to be one-sided. In whose direction do you think? Again, I'm just hyper. I'm always talking. I'm always saying things. So I can literally remember calling Tom, and I would get going. And again, if I really have a lot to do, then I start talking really fast. I'm on the phone with Tom. I call him and say, Tom, can I talk to you about what we're doing in Young Life? I need your help with the air reduct down there because having some problem with kids, okay? And Tom would say, good morning, Chris. I think, bro, you got to speed it up because i got more to say, and it comes out pretty quick. And you got to answer before I get to the next question, okay? And literally, we would have conversations like that. One conversation, I confess, I was a little frustrated, so I was already getting a little willy-nilly with my, with my feelings and stuff. And uh, we're in the middle of this conversation. I'm on the phone with Tom, and literally said, Tom, you've got to speed it up. I said, you've got to talk faster. I've got a lot of things to do. He said, well, Chris, let me tell And I hung up on him. I'm like, I can't deal with this. I said, I really have a lot of calls to do. And he, I, he is such a slow pace. That's the way it goes. And so we had some of those issues with our relationship. Literally, I'm trying to listen to his response. But I'm thinking about, hey, what time do the Penguins play today? What time? I mean, there's a whole lot of room in there while he's waiting to give me something that I can fill my very ADD mind with other things, okay? Most of which are, have nothing to do with what Tom's talking about. It's bad enough when you're in conversation. It's much worse when you're praying with a brother like that, all right? Because Tom and I love Jesus, and we're brothers. That's why I said we do ministry together. But it gets a little weird when you're praying with Tom. Again, I, I, I'm that guy, so when I pray, I'm like, Jesus, it's an awesome day, man. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, right? I'm kind of effusive in all my, my praise to God. I'm fasting. We can move on and do something else because God's busy too, so I don't have to pray too long. <laughs> I sit down with Tom. Dear, holy, omnipotent. Hey, you've done this, right? When people pray like that, you're like this. You start doing this one. You're looking around, you're going, for real, man? For real this way? <laughs> you know, God's pretty big. He can think faster than you can talk. And I know you can talk in the way how fast you're talking now. But that, that was kind of the whole relationship with Tom. And so we just had this little, this very different personalities. Very different kind of way of looking. Very different in the way we saw life. Except for this, that we all saw, both of us saw it through a vision of saying, hey, this is my father's world. And we both walked through it trying to do the best we could to pursue Jesus. Tom and his wife, Jesse had been married about 30 years, and uh, they had a daughter, Shelly. And as much as Tom and I were different, there were some events that happened in late January 2008 where I realized how different we were. And really how Tom was in a different place from me, and in many ways way out ahead of me spiritually. We had been down at Ogilvy Resort. I think most of you have maybe been down to Ogilvy. We do our Young Life uh, gathering for all our regional volunteers and staff down there at the end of January each year. Hundreds of people there, just a great event, great weekend. Everyone's kind of on a spiritual high. These are all the workers who go back and, and do outreach, do evangelism with lost people, young people, teens in, in their communities. Tom and Jesse stayed over Sunday night, an extra night, 
to be with friends of theirs, a young couple who had been on staff with us, and just wanted to spend some time with them. And they stayed over Sunday and left to go back home on Monday morning. Tom went back to Bridgeport. Jesse was heading out to Ohio to see her father, who was aged and not doing well. I got a phone call that Monday night. Tom had called to say Jesse had been in an accident and had gone home to be with the Lord. I confess, even as a pastor, I still don't, the death thing is a struggle. Just hard. I love passionately. And I know we're going to have a great reunion in heaven for those who are in Christ. Amen? No condemnation and a promise of not just abundant life on this earth, but eternal life, right? Amen. Amen. But, but I know for me, because I'm so passionate with people on this earth, that that's a hard break. And I know there's reunion, but it's just difficult for me. But what really amped up the emotion in my life was that when Tom said she'd been in an accident, what she had really had happened was that a drunk driver, his sixth drunk driving offense, at 7 o'clock on a Monday morning, must have been drinking all weekend, had crossed a double-lane highway and run head-on into Jesse. And so now the pain in me started to segue more from hurt to what? Oh, you feel it, right? Even as I share this story, my assumption is if your heart's beating, that's starting to well up in you, is it not? That at some point you're going, you got to be kidding me. Oh, the pain, the loss, the searing agony of losing your wife. Oh, I, can't even, I don't even want to think about that. But then to hear the next news that it bordered on reckless intent. When you got a multi-time offender, multiple-time offender drunk driving who goes out on a bender all weekend and then kills Jesse Carpenter. Where do you go with that type of pain? Where do you go with that type of anger? What do you do with it, gang? You can't just squash it down. If we're in Christ, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? I know we go to him. But how difficult is it in my life, in your life, to get past the, the issues of anger, to get past the feelings of resentment, to not hold on to the fact that I want revenge? Does anybody have a heart like that ever? I, st- I still think that leans towards men. Yes, men? Someone messes with your family, you're going to step up and do something about it? I, stop, because I'm going to get myself hit. <laughs> and I think even w- women, do we not think like that? How do you get past all that? Other than going to Jesus Christ and saying, oh, only Jesus, by your strength can I get through this. But I think even in that moment, I know what I found myself doing was trying to let it go. You ever use that expression, Anyone? Let it go. I ran into a guy, quick side story, 20-year high school reunion, half my size. He was ready to square off with me all night. 20 years. I couldn't even remember the kid's name. I'm thinking, I, I didn't meet Christ till I was older, so I'm sure I did something to you, bro, but I have no idea. And it couldn't have been that significant because it's not one of the stories I tell. I, I, I don't know who you are. What I, I find out later that he had hoped to take some gal to a school dance in 10th grade, and I asked her before him. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, is that, I did lots worse, trust me. But this guy, and so at one point during the evening, I start to walk to the restroom, and he and his date, who was that gal after all these years, was standing there. 
and he envisioned me coming to her. I, I just had to go wee-wee. I mean, I, <laughs> and he like steps out that five foot four inches and gets right in my face. <laughs> he says, not this time. I said, oh, it has to be this time or it's going to get real bad in here. I got, I got, I'm 50 years old now. When I got to go, I got to go or whatever. I was 40 by then. But he wanted to fight with me. And, and, and finally, I just, I, 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 there was nothing in me. I just laughed and kind of said, I'm not sure what I did. Again, no, my background. I walked around him. And, and one of the kids said, uh, one of the kids, one of my classmates said, do you not remember? I said, no, he recounted the story. And I said, someone's got to tell that guy what? You see, so we often think that's the answer in Christ. Let it go. Is it, let it roll off your back. There's another one. Thanks, man. Just let it go. Let it ro- but let me tell you something. That's what I was trying to do with my anger towards this man who killed Jesse Carpenter. And God calls us to do so much more than that. If you look at your scripture, I don't know if you guys have Bibles with you, but I'm going to look at that Acts chapter 9. We're going to talk about someone who had some anger with some beat people who were wronging him. But I want to read a little further because it's not Saul. You see, the story starts where Pastor Jamie read about Saul, but I want to read a little further as we go through the scripture this morning and interject candidate number two for anger issues, Ananias. See, Ananias was a follower of the way, as it says in Acts chapter 9 there. And Ananias had been surveying the scene and saying, you know what, we're getting the short end of the stick here as followers of Jesus. They're bringing the heat in a big way. People are getting killed. You know, you read a few weeks ago, Pastor James, did you preach on Stephen getting stoned? I mean, Stephen gets stoned. Other people are getting killed. People are getting thrown in jail. People are getting tried and convicted. And Ananias is going, for real? For our faith, this is what we get? And by the way, there's a ringleader out there named Saul who's bringing all the heat our way. Little hotshot who thinks he got a lot of power in that little four-foot, six-inch frame of his. Who's bringing it our way? You think that had some anger issues in Ananias and the rest of the believers, yes or no? Come on. You betcha. And so Ananias is stewing and worrying and probably plotting his way to either avoid Saul or get even with him. But unbeknownst to him, while we in our inimitable ways as mankind, humankind, are dealing with a God whose ways are much bigger than our ways and whose thoughts are much different than our thoughts. Are they not? And you see that played out in real life. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Saul's bringing it, gang. He's not waiting for the fight to come come to him. He's taking a fight to the believers. And it says he's issuing murderous threats. Man, you saw what we did to Stephen. We got that power. We're going to bring it your way, folks. You really think you're going to follow this, Jesus? You're messing up our Jewish tradition? We got it bad enough with the Romans over top of us. You're going to start something else? We're coming your way. And man, people knew what he was bringing. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So now he's amping it up. He said, hey, we're we're doing our thing here. I'm going to go head over to Damascus. I heard the people of the way, people following Jesus are getting some traction there. There's one way. We'll snuff it out. We'll just round a bunch of them up, bring them back here to Jerusalem, try and convict them. Oh, that'll shut it down for a while, right? So Paul gets the letters, and he takes off for Damascus. Verse 3 said, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, 
Saul, why do you persecute me? Out of nowhere, the conversion of Saul. Here he comes. He's on his way to do what? Come on, talk to him. What's he got to do? Persecute people who follow whom? Jesus. And guess what? The one thing he wasn't expecting, the one person he wasn't expecting to bump into on the way was whom? Guess what? Showtime. When Jesus says, I'm showing up, he shows up. When Jesus says, I move, he moves. When Jesus says, I call, he calls. When Jesus says, he acts, he acts. And when Jesus says, it's time to have a change of heart, Jesus sends his Holy Spirit to invade the heart of his people and changes their ways. Yes? Amen. You believe that? If you're sitting here and you're saying you're a follower of Jesus, that happened in your heart, did it not? It may have been dramatic like Saul. It may have been something that kind of grew on if you're brought up in the church. I understand everyone's got their own different story. That's what makes life fun, I think. We've all come in different ways. Maybe some of you haven't come yet. You're still on the journey. I got news for you. You can't avoid it. You think you give the stiff arm to God, but when God moves, he moves. When he says, you're home, you're home. And so into Saul's life, this murderous thug who's just flexing his muscle by killing people, getting them convicted, Jesus steps in and says, Saul! Saul, why you do me like this, man? <laughs> right? Why are you persecuting me? Saul gets thrown to the ground from his horse. He lands on his knees. He's got no idea who Jesus really is, does he? If he really had an idea who Jesus was, I assume he wouldn't be persecuting people who follow him. Paul's got false, some false assumptions, some bad beliefs. Doesn't understand clearly the real truth of who Jesus is. And what he doesn't have is that spirit of conviction. But Jesus says, all right, son, about <laughs> come your way. And so Saul hits the ground and says, who are you, Lord? Saul asks. Again, he doesn't recognize him. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. How many of you guys are real comfortable with uncertainty? <laughs> any weird people? I mean, any people like there out there? I, I think that's anti-human nature. By nature, we're control freaks. We all want to know what's happening next and where it's going and when it's going to happen. Jesus comes and visits Saul. Knocks him off the horse, makes him blind. And says, why are you persecuting me, fool? What you doing? He says, I right, get up. Go where you going. I'll get back to you. That's really what Jesus says, does he not? Think about it. Sometimes, again, for those of you who've been in the church in a long time, we're guilty of this more than anyone. We, oh, we've heard this before. We've read these verses. I have it memorized when I was in kindergarten. You know, all the, Read it for what it says. Breathe it in for a moment. Understand, this isn't a fable, a teaching opportunity. This is reality. This is a real-life, factual, historical event. And we so often want to run past. Please hear me. I, I never want to add words to Scripture. Scripture is holy and fallible and error in its entirety. Please hear me on that. But I think what we do then is we fail to at least let our minds go to that place, saying these were real people with real emotions with real thoughts. We can't say for sure unless God says this is what they, they were thinking. We can't say for sure. But come on! Put yourself in Saul's place! 
I got the letter in my pocket. To all those who follow Jesus, we're going to arrest you. I've got the right to arrest you. I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem. I'm going to try you and maybe kill you. Oh, son, he's blinded by the light. Who is it? Jesus. Oh, crap. <laughs> he's trying to drop that letter over here like this. <laughs> back in the old days. I ain't got no weed on me. It's like, yeah, try keep moving and drop it behind you. <laughs> you got to think, Paul, that this Saul's getting real worked up at this point. Oh, no. All right, man. This is, this is it right here? No, not really, because Jesus says, get up and go into the city. Yeah, you're told what you must do then. <laughs> oh, jeez. Saul gets up. I can't see. The guy who I'm really bringing heat his way just shows up. Is he really God? And if he is, he just came to me. <laughs> I'm in deep stuff, man. I think Saul's got to be thinking, if you're going to kill me, just take me now. But instead, what happens? You, you go, go on your way, son. I get you. I catch up with you. <laughs> I got my people everywhere. And as we figure out Saul's anxiety, and now what's he thinking? We start to segue into a specific thought process, heart attitude of a follower of Jesus. Anyway, it says in verse 7, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but what I just said, think about what Paul's thinking about for three days. He's thinking about something, is he not? What are two things obviously he's not thinking about? Eating or drinking. I got other concerns right now. Because if what happened to me, and now I'm blind, if this is for real, if that was an encounter with the living, true, only God, oh, man, that letter's got to be burnt by now if he didn't drop it on the way. I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in it deep. He's got to be so anxiety-ridden. That's why he's not eating or drinking. Jesus didn't say, hey, go, don't eat or drink. He didn't get sent on this. Right? Hey, go ahead, go on your way, son. I'll catch up with you. And Saul's like, I can't, I can't eat or drink. I can't see. Just let me sit here and die. I, I'm assuming that's what he's thinking. Well, while he's going through this process, it says in verse 10, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. Hey, just quick, the juxtaposition of when Jesus comes to Saul and the light comes out and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? What was Saul's response? T tell me. Who are you, Lord? Jesus speaks audibly, apparently, to Ananias and says, Ananias. And what's his response? Yeah, my sheep know my voice. Little indicator where you are with the Lord. Didn't think twice when Ananias gets the call. He didn't go, who is that? I'm not hearing things. He's like, yes, Lord, I know, man. Apparently Ananias has spent some time following Jesus. Now that's important where we're, how we're going to finish up here. Because as we look at Ananias' life, he's obviously a man after God's own heart. It says he's a follower of Jesus. The scripture tells us that. And then in his response, we know that that, that John verse says, a sheep know my voice. We, we understand that Ananias is even there. He's, he's familiar with his Savior's voice, right? I hope most of us are in that position. I hope we can say, man, that's who I try to be. But here's the deal. Sometimes when we are comfortable with that, we still miss the forest through the trees. We settle for kind of understanding, hey, this is who I am, and... I, I, I follow Jesus, and that's cool. Man, I believe, particularly as we're here on Pentecost, and that God's got so much more for us. I think God says, hey, it's more than hearing my voice. It's like, let's go out there and do some damages for the kingdom of God. Amen? And I think he says that to all of us, gang. I don't think there's certain people he calls to do ministry. 
Every one of us are equipped for the works of the ministry. Now, what that looks like in your life is between you, you and the Lord. But I don't think he gives anyone the option of sitting on a bench. And we hear this with Ananias because as he jumps in and starts talking to Ananias, he says a few things to him. He says, yes, Lord, he answered. Then in verse 11, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. So obviously Jesus had gotten Paul's uh, attention, right? <laughs> he ain't eating, he ain't drinking, he's probably not sleeping much, but he's praying his tail off. <laughs> God help me, I'm not sure who to pray to anymore, right? I mean, literally, is this upset Paul's apple cart? His life's got to be in turmoil. This, this, this Jesus who he's persecuting, is he really God, was he really God with flesh on? Is he the Savior? So he says, hey, this guy's in town, he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. Ananias is going, oh, come on, man. <laughs> Jesus is telling him, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So here you are, gang. Why don't we reach out to really hurting horrible people? I don't use that term lightly, because there but for the grace of God go away. But for those who are hurtful, the people like the guy who's a six-time loser DUI who killed Tom Carpenter's wife, Jesse, why do we not go after those people? Why do we want to invite our friends and neighbors to vacation Bible school? Why, if there's a special speaker uh, at church, we'll invite him for that? Why do we not say, hey, to those who persecute us, we've got to go after them. To those who hate us, we've got to go after them. To those who are locked behind bars because they've been done horrific, horrible things to people, we need to share them. Why not? Why will we not allow Jesus to fill us with his Holy Spirit and push the envelope that we would love the least of these? We think about the least of these. We think about people who are poor. I'm talking about the least of these, the people at least want, we want to least spend time with. Why? All I can answer is what my human response is. And I want to give you three, three real quick. You determine, therefore there's no, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You determine if any of those resonate with you. I can't preach to anyone other than myself. I know what God has shown me in my life. And I'm pretty sure I'm pretty symptomatic of humankind. But here are the things where I think I see where we fail to really be willing to go after the Saul's, those who persecute us and want to murder us. First thing is this. We think it's too big for us. We just think we can't do it. Guys, here's the great news of the gospel. Do you think that way ever? Man, that person, Jamie, what do what you say? You use the term... For those who are like, we think they're worst off or use the term, the kind of the least likely. Is that too big for us? Here's the good news of the gospel. Absolutely. The great news of the gospel is any conversion is too big for us. It's not our job. Everyone look at me. Do you understand that? You do not have the power. I do not have the power to change a soul. That is God's initiative. That's God's work. That's God's deal. And as we walk into the front door of this story, who's already been working in Saul? Jesus is already there, man. Ananias, I'm not asking you to do this. It's not too big. Not for me, Jesus says. For all things are possible for him who believes. Jesus says all things are possible. The great news is God is the author and initiator of our faith. And if you're like me and go, man, that person's never going to respond. I never share with anyone because no one responds because of me. They only respond because of whom? God who initiates that grace in their heart. If it's too big for you, amen, you're right. Second thing, sometimes we just don't want to look outside of our fishbowl. You see, when the Lord says to 
Ananias do this? His response in verse 13 is, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. One way Ananias should respond is, geez, he's an outsider. We've got our little fishbowl here. we got the group of believers. We don't need to mess up that rhythm. What did Jesus call us to be? Fishers of men. Yes, amen? Now we're not amen as much, because now it's putting on, are we called supposed to be fishers of men? And you know what we've become, many of us? Keepers of aquariums. We got our fishbowl, and boy, it's nice. Boy, it's pretty. It's what we love. And amen for that. It's a gift to have a place to gather, to worship God with brothers and sisters. It is a gift. Man, I hope you're excited about your church. I hope all of the believers around the world who are in their local churches, that's what we're supposed to be, right? But we're supposed to be here not just to be keepers of aquariums, but to allow God to equip us with that gift of the Holy Spirit and the power of the blood of the Lamb to go out and share with the least of these. And I think Ananias, part of him is going, man, I, I kind of got my thing going here. Do we really want to do this? And the other side of the coin is what? That's a charitable view, is I just don't want to change things up. Sometimes we just think we're smarter than God. Isn't that true? Did you hear how Ananias responded? Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest who who call on your name. What's he expecting God to do? Go, oh, dang, thanks, man. I didn't know that, dude. Uh, Should have had a V8, man. Sleep at the wheel this morning. You you really think, Ananias, did you just give God something, uh a ha moment? Oh, yeah, thanks, Ananias. What would I do without you? I can't run this universe without your thoughts. But sometimes that's how I act. Go talk to Saul. But but Jesus does all this. I know. Just do what I tell you. Boy, thank goodness for the everlasting patience of our God for us. Yes? (laughs) You better say yes for that one if you're anything like me. Boy, how good God is to be patient with us. But sometimes we just think we, th- we think we know more. Well, that person's not going to respond. God says, I work first. I equip you. I give you marching orders. And as obedient men and women, go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And do what I've called you to do. And I'll finish with this. Why don't we do that? Sometimes we're just plain scared. But guess what? God's bigger than all things, is he not? God says, I did not give you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. You go forth and do what I tell you. Saul, the persecutor of the church, meets Jesus. And in the midst of this, we all focus on those first few verses where Jesus comes to Saul, right? We all know that. I don't know, coming in the room this morning, how many of you remember the name of Ananias? For some reason, God says, Ananias, you're part of the process. Are you, is he not? Ananias, you go. And then Ananias goes. I'm going to keep moving here because I've got to finish up. I'm already 1.07 over. But uh, I don't have one of those at home. Now I know why. Uh, Ananias goes, and the scales are removed from Paul's eye. He sees, and the next thing we know, if you read next week, whoever's preaching, Saul becomes Paul. And he's doing some damage for Jesus Christ. But here's why I wanted to, I, I just need to share two minutes. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of self-discipline. 
He can use us to reach everybody. The guy who killed Jesse Carpenter was tried and convicted. Tom called me about a month after his conviction. He said, Chris, can I meet with you? I need, to, I need you to pray with me. And the guy's like, well, you know, if I pray, it'll be quick, Tom. <laughs> I said, sure. I said, you want to do it on the phone? He goes, no, I want to meet with you. I never saw it coming. So I meet with Tom, and he says, I, I got clearance from the court and the jail. I'm going to go visit the man who killed my wife. I said, you want me to go? I said, I can snuff him quick. I'm a big man. <laughs> I said, I don't need to put any weapons. I'll choke him out. Tom said, he needs Jesus. Tom Carpenter went three times to visit this guy. I've got Tom's written testimony sometime if you want to see it. I can't remember the guy's name. I I still think I struggle with it. Tom shows up and sits across the glass from this prisoner who killed his wife and shared the gospel. Why? Because Jesus said, go out and change the world, including the unlovable, including the one that we harbor hate for in our hearts. I don't know if it's a big ending. You know, people say, did he meet the Lord? Tom would say the guy said, yeah, yeah, he needs Jesus. Tom in his heart goes, I I couldn't tell by the way he was responding. He was a messed up guy, obviously. He said, all I know is, I did what my wife would want me to do. And I know my Savior said, well done, good and faithful servant. Because I really don't care what that guy does with it. I just know that I'm answering to my Lord on that last great day. And I want to be found obedient. I don't know about you, but that's where I want to be. Let's pray. Father, give us the Holy Spirit ability to love those outside the family of God. Father, that we wouldn't just love our friends and neighbors, or even the pagans do that, the scripture says. But we would love those who are throwing stones at us, Lord, and are trying to take our lives. Love them not just in lip service, but in deed as well, as we go forth to hold out the gospel of life, life abundant and life eternal with Jesus. And Father, for any who would be here today who've never walked into that light, Lord, we would pray that your spirit would be beckoning them forward this morning. That like Saul, like the man who killed Jesse, Father, that they too would understand the light would come on because of the grace and the mercy of your spirit. And they would come home today. Father, give us the love, the power to do it. We thank you that we haven't been given a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Father, we are grateful for that. Help us be faithful to that. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.